In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than 1 billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. It's the weeds. I'm John Gwilin Hill. This weekend, I made my weekly trek to the grocery store. I didn't get a ton, but one of my friends was coming over for a girl's day. And because we're both saving up for some big life expenses, we decided to have a more budget-friendly hang. Just some wine, some cheese, maybe some charcuterie or tinned fish at my place. And even though it was a much cheaper option than, say, bottomless brunch, it wasn't necessarily cheap. I have some baguette pieces, some goat cheese, some tapenade, like a small assorted thing of cured meats and some grapes. And look, I get that goat cheese and baguettes aren't exactly essentials. I also understand that I live in D.C., a pretty expensive city. So I get if people don't have a ton of sympathy for me and my grocery bill. But the fact of the matter is, no matter where you are, day-to-day life just costs more than it used to. I'm not the only one who's noticed. In fact, it came up when I had some trouble with my grapes at the self-checkout. Thank you. I feel like groceries are so expensive now. Yeah, inflation is big. It really is. (laughs) It really is. And I want to know why everything is so expensive. Prices are on a lot of minds right now. According to some recent polling from Yahoo Finance and Ipsos, 88% of registered voters they polled say that inflation has been unusually high. And most of them have noticed the biggest impact on food prices. The Federal Reserve has noticed too. In order to cool down inflation, the Fed has been raising interest rates. Right now, they're between 5.25 and 5.5%. It may not sound like a lot, but it's the highest it's been in about 22 years. The goal? A soft landing. Doing just enough to cool down all that spending we did over the past couple of years and slow inflation down. But not doing so much that it throws us into another recession. And by experts' metrics, it's working. The economy is bouncing back. In fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released data this week that shows the consumer price index is down. And it really makes you wonder, if things are getting better, why does everything still feel so expensive? Why aren't our dollars stretching further? To help explain, I called a Vox reporter. My name is Emily Stewart, and I am a senior correspondent at Vox. I write about money. So the Federal Reserve was seeking a soft landing for this inflation that we've been having. How has that shaken out? You can't really talk about this in the 
past tense yet. This is ongoing. So it does look like there are signs that we could be headed towards a soft landing, which basically means the economy slows down. We don't go into a recession. There are definitely signs that the economy will slow down and that we won't go into a recession. But uh, I don't, I'm always too afraid to predict anything. And I do think, you know, at this point, it is still a little bit too soon to tell. So we'll see. What does it mean to stop inflation? What does that what does that even mean in the first place? So I guess I'll say here, we don't necessarily want to stop inflation, right? The Federal Reserve says we want 2% inflation over the long term. That's kind of how we define a healthy economy. What we want right now is to stop high inflation, so the high rate of inflation. And the way that the Fed does that is by raising interest rates, which hopefully slows the economy down, hopefully takes some money out of the economy and and kind of cools everything off so the inflation comes back down to where we want it to be. Inflation has lowered. It's not at that Fed goal of 2% yet. But what is the major driver of inflation as we know it right now? I think it's safe to say it's not the interest rates because those are higher. Right, yeah. So basically, if you go back to like way at the beginning of the pandemic, And I will clarify this with there is not entirely agreement on what has ever caused this current inflation. There are certain things, but you have certain people that are, you know, things still the stimulus checks that did all of it. So I guess I will offer that qualifier. Um, But if you think back to early in the pandemic, the story of inflation was that there were a lot of supply chain kinks. People were buying a lot of goods, which were more expensive. You can think back to when lumber really took off in prices. The story I kind of tell myself is like, we were all sitting at home bored and kind of had the same idea to fix up our houses and buy a bunch of stuff, whether it was dumbbells or a new deck. And so early in, when inflation started to take off, that was a big problem. Then, of course, we also have Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That has a huge impact on energy prices. Now, uh, the story has changed a little bit. So if you think early on, the story around inflation was goods. Now it is more services. It's also shelter. It's also housing. If you look back to September's inflation numbers, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that at least a big portion of that was was shelter and housing. So it is changing. I do think it's also important to say, again, it is slowing down. Inflation is slowing down, but it is still higher than where we want it to be. What happens if prices just dropped right now? Like, I don't know. I know if you're headed to the grocery store or, you know, looking to buy a house, like the idea of everything just magically being cheaper is really appealing. But what impact would waving that kind of magic wand have on the economy? So when you talk to economists about this, what they say is that we don't want deflation, which would mean a broad-based drop in prices. That would very likely come with a recession. That would come with huge amounts of unemployment. One person I talked to said, listen, like we saw this after the First World War and it was basically a depression. So we don't want deflation. That being said, you know, some prices will bounce up and down a little bit, especially on like commodities. Like you think back to earlier this year, everybody was talking about how eggs were really expensive, right? The prices of eggs have come down. There is a world where maybe the housing market, we could see prices come down. But I think by and large, we're not going back to 2019 in terms of what things cost. I guess like the good news there is we're also not going back to 2019, hopefully in terms of how much workers are making at their jobs. These prices are higher than they used to be. And, you know, the point of raising these interest rates was to get us to spend 
less money so that prices would stop going up. Have these rising prices had an impact on our spending habits? Or are we just, you know, are we still buying things like we were in the pandemic? I mean, one thing that I think has been interesting to watch over the past few years is that consumers really have kept up spending. We're going to get some retail sale numbers this week, I think, after we've recorded in a couple of days. But if you look at September, retail sales came in strong. You know, I kind of joke sometimes with friends that people are really angry about spending money on their vacation, but then they still spend money on their vacation. The big question is that we don't really know how long this will last. Like, there are reasons for concern. Credit card delinquencies are up. We see savings rates going down. Consumers have also started to say that they expect inflation to be higher, which is not good because that could mean inflation does become higher because it sometimes becomes an expectations game. If I think prices are going to go up, then I ask for a bigger wage bump, then a business increases its prices more. But I think the story by and large is like, yes, this is painful. Yes, this is really hard. The cost of living in the United States is expensive. At the same time, consumers really have been paying in there. And companies have even been saying it on earnings calls, saying, you know, we've thought the consumers were going to trade down. They haven't. They've stuck with us as we've increased prices. Why aren't we spending less? What is going on with us psychologically? Like, what is wrong with us? Why won't we stop? <laughs> I mean, good question. I like, And I think that is kind of the thing that when you ask economists about it, it is a little bit puzzling. But I do think, too, you, people did really save money during the pandemic because you couldn't go out, right? Maybe you got a stimulus check. Maybe you got unemployment. You were actually making more money with unemployment. People did have money to spend and you know, people also wanted to spend their money. It is, I think, also important to note that wages have gone up too, especially for people on the lower end of the, the income spectrum, which I think is something we don't think about sometimes, or it doesn't come off in the media or maybe in you know our own social circles, right? That it's like, oh, well, I didn't get a raise or all things are more expensive or whatever. But you know, if you were working hourly, all of a sudden you had a lot more options to go to different jobs and all of a sudden your, your wages went from $10 an hour to 15 and that's a big jump. But why people are kind of spending through this, you know, it's so hard to say. Like, I think about my own habits and it's like, yeah, I am the person that is mad about that plane ticket and still buys that plane ticket. Yeah. I think, I don't know, maybe the pandemic has us all just like, you know what? Smoke them if you got them. You only live <laughs> once. You got to have these experiences. You never know what'll happen. You just got to go for it. Yeah, I really, I don't know. I mean, it is like, I think the Wall Street Journal had a story a while back about how expensive, like it was to have fun or whatever. And that's true. But again, like how many people went to go see Beyonce or Taylor Swift? People are, are just like angry, but they're still spending their money. And you talk to some economists who will say, you know, you look at the polls and everybody in polling says, ah, the economy's terrible, the economy's terrible. And then you look at their own actions and they will say, or people are spending, right? And you also see people say, well, I personally am okay financially. So it, it like the consumer is weird. It's the same way you say like voters are weird, so are consumers. And like I'm a weird consumer too. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you brought up wages because I would love to know how they compare to the cost of living right now. Like, you know, it seems like a good thing. Like wages are up. People who were in these low-wage jobs are now making livable wages and can participate in the economy in this new way. Like, that seems like a good thing, but it's still, it never feels like enough money. Like, how are wages comparing to the cost of living? Have they finally caught up? Yeah, so this year, wage growth did catch up with inflation. So that's good. And again, as I mentioned before, 
and the lower income workers were the ones who really have seen their wages go up significantly. You know, you think back to 2022, there was a reason that every restaurant had a help wanted sign out. We sometimes read that as bad. That's good because that means that restaurants have to compete for workers. We want that to happen. The issue here, I think sometimes psychologically and like, who knows, hard to say, is that like when I get a raise, I think like it's because I'm so awesome at my job and I'm so good. I don't necessarily attribute that to broader economic forces that are also, my company doesn't want to lose me maybe. Or if a competitor were to want to come get me, they would have to pay me a little bit more. So sometimes what happens, I think, with wages is that we really attribute it to our own personal qualities. And we really see inflation as something that happens to us. And so the way we experience those things is is pretty different. Yeah, it's like I got that raise because I girl bossed really hard and not because there was a set of circumstances where my company was making enough money to give me that money. Exactly, exactly. And, and we just don't quite compute those things the same way. What are you hearing from economists about what needs to happen to make things affordable again? What are some of those ideas you're hearing about? really all over the map at this point. I was talking to someone at a think tank the other week. And, you know, one thing she talked about a lot was like a public option, right? Where the government provides an option for, let's say, higher education. You talk about free college or for childcare. So that is one we can think about that. A lot of economists, and this is really not my arena, but talk about building more housing. You know, that way if there's more supply, maybe the demand doesn't drive up prices so much. You also get people who sometimes will talk about price controls. I will not get into that. <laughs> that's a kind <laughs> of, that's a different uh, episode of the weeds yeah. that we can not, get into another day. Yeah, so not for this. But, you know, there are different ideas. And I think, you know, right now, like the Fed's plan is to really focus on inflation, it does look like they maybe are going to stop hiking interest rates now. But if things start to get out of control again, maybe they'll pick back up. You know, there are no easy answers on this and the economy is constantly changing. And, you know, one thing that somebody said to me a few months ago is, you know, the economy's just been really weird for the past couple of years. And I don't know when it's going to become unweird to the extent that maybe it was always weird and we just didn't think about it. Okay. Keep the Economy Weird is not a bumper sticker I'm going to be buying anytime soon. Up next, we get an expert's take on why the soft landing feels like it's hitting our wallets hard. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. 
In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than 1 billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. And we're back. It's the weeds. I'm John Glenhill. To understand the nuts and bolts of why our economy is in the state it's in, I spoke to Mike Consul. He's the director of macroeconomic analysis at the Roosevelt Institute. It's a nonprofit center-left think tank. One of the first jobs I had was to help understand what was going on with the Great Recession, why the recovery was so slow and so scarring for the economy as a whole, and especially people who are graduating into it. And so when the the next big recession came up following the COVID pandemic, you know, I was in a position to argue that we wanted to have a robust and fast response. And, you know, now we have the a different set of challenges, which is from higher than expected inflation, but it's still part of the same argument that I've been really focused on my career for, for the last decade. So we know the Federal Reserve has been attempting a soft landing with raising interest rates. Did the soft landing work or is it too soon to tell? I think the soft landing has been much more successful than I think people thought it would be a year ago. It's tough to tell what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months. The argument isn't over yet, but there's been substantial progress. A year ago, inflation was, depending on what you're measuring, about 8%. The headline PC inflation, which is one type of inflation across the entire economy, was prices were increasing 8% last year. Now it's under 4%. Core PC, which excludes some of the more volatile prices, and it's what the Federal Reserve is really focused on. And it tends to be more sustained and more persistent. You know, that was between five and six percent last year. That's a very high rate. Right now it's under three percent for the last six months. There's some debate whether it's a little bit closer to two versus three, but it's still a substantial step down in inflation. While the economy has been booming, GDP was 4% growth last quarter, unemployment's been below 4% this entire time. You know, a lot of economists said that you couldn't have that. You needed the economy to slow down for inflation to even come down a little bit, much less, you know, as much as it has. So a lot will be figured out in the next six to 12 months, but there's been substantial progress that most economists did not believe was possible a year ago. Are you surprised we haven't had a recession? I was very optimistic about the potential for a soft landing because the way inflation in the labor market had evolved over the last two years. I thought that there was a real historically unique opportunity for inflation to come down much faster than people thought. My baseline was inflation had only been around for a year and a half and people were taking it quite seriously. And also it was so obviously connected to just all the different things that happened, all the big societal dislocations that occurred during the pandemic, the lockdowns and the reopening, that there was this historically unique opportunity for inflation to come down. Is it enough for the Fed to be happy? I think pretty close, but obviously the Federal Reserve has its own opinions about that. But in either way, it it has surprised me how rapidly it's come down. Mm. Are we out of the woods? I mean, I was graduating from high school in like 2009. So the R word is very scary to me. Should we still be, you know, cautious or worried that a recession could happen? I think the Fed's watching both sides of this. Um, You know, unemployment has ticked up in the last couple months. It was three and a half percent. Now it's a little bit closer to 3.9%. You know, that number does bounce around, but it is higher and it's been increasing slowly. This recovery has been so 
odd. And, you know, there's been so much reallocation in the labor markets as people have upskilled their jobs, moved into better jobs, you know, demanded wage increases for working bad jobs that as that settled, we could imagine the labor market settling a certain way. But, you know, that's definitely something people have been much more cautious about in the last month or two. A year ago, people were talking about the very, very hot labor market and to the point where the Federal Reserve and many others were arguing it was like too hot and people argued what would that mean. Now you don't hear that so much anymore. The economy is much more normalized to something that's just, it's better than it was in 2019, but it is not so off the scales people wonder whether or not that was sustainable. On the other hand, there's the other R word, reacceleration. Will inflation pick back up? And, you know, we'll know more in January because firms tend to really do their price resets at the beginning of the year. The largest time for inflation is in the beginning of the year. Now, we talk about seasonally adjusted values all the time, but there's really is that end of the year quirk. I don't think we'll see it this year, but, you know, we don't know. And, you know, consumer spending still remains quite robust. People are, are spending money which is great for the economy to expand and, and you know, productivity. We're making things better and making things that are more in line with inflation prices being able to come down. But, you know, the idea that inflation could pick up a little bit more is still also on many people's minds. So, Mike, a lot of experts are saying the economy is actually in a really good spot right now. But honestly, <laughs> the vibes just they, they feel off. Why is there that disconnect? So yeah, even though a lot of the numbers that are good at remain quite strong and a lot of the numbers that were, were tougher are, are coming down, a lot of people, a lot of voters, a lot of consumers, a lot of everyday people will say that the economy is on the wrong track. They're giving the president and the Democratic Party very negative numbers on the economy and their performance of the economy. You know, why is that? And it's one of those things that has so many plausible answers, it's really hard to distinguish among them. The question of the bad vibes is actually an international question among peer countries. So there's polling in Canada that has most people on saying that the economy's on the wrong track. Or you see the same thing in Australia. Um, many other countries all have this kind of bad vibes question. And you know, all our peer countries have three things in common. One is they went through the pandemic. They had higher than expected inflation. This inflation story really is an international phenomenon. And their central banks have all pushed interest rates much higher than they've been in quite some time. They're not necessarily high in decades-long comparison, but they're much higher and the, the increases were much more rapid than most people have in living memory. Same thing for the inflation. So any one of those things in all can cause people to have you know, bad vibes about the economy and all three together, I think, helps explain why this isn't just a United States phenomenon. That said, I think there are some U.S.-specific things we'd also want to point to. People are anchored on 2019 prices. They think of that as a natural price line. And especially, if not only are prices higher in general, but you know prices are specifically much higher for housing and automobiles and food and things where people are probably very price sensitive and think a lot about what the, the number is. I think when people think of lowering inflation, it means that prices will fall. And I think as we can all see, you know, when we go to the grocery store or try to buy a car, that is not the case. What happens if those prices do come down? So on one hand, you have individual prices, which may increase or may fall. So for instance, the price of eggs have fallen quite a bit this year. Um, the price of a television, I believe, has fallen as well. That's going to come and go. And some prices will fall, maybe even quite dramatically, as things renormalize. Overall spending and overall inflation in the economy, you know, the Fed wants a positive inflation rate because it believes it's a good hedge against really deep recessions and depressions. When you look at periods in which prices would fall, like in the late 19th century, like under a gold standard, you know, you had really severe recessions and very severe depressions. Not in the way we haven't had since essentially the Great Depression. We can argue about the Great Recession about this. And so you wouldn't see overall prices falling 
unless spending had dropped dramatically, and you wouldn't have that without a recession and lots of unemployment. Now, relative price changes, if they're dramatic, as they were during this reopening, can cause overall inflation to increase because some things, the prices go up, but other things, prices don't fall necessarily for a variety of reasons. And so when you have big sectoral shifts, like the shift from services to goods, as we saw in the reopening, as as people got fewer gym memberships and bought more home gym equipment, that can have a cascading effect. But the renormalization back doesn't cascade back the other way. It doesn't cause more prices to fall. And so, you know, we are going to have a higher price level compared to 2019, though the growth rate is slowing quite dramatically back to something that's more like the trend we've had for several decades. The Fed's goal is to get at 2% inflation. And we aren't there yet, but we are getting closer. And, you know, I think it's something people think about every time they look at their credit card statement or, you know, looking at the housing market and trying to get a mortgage. When are interest rates going to come down again? Are, are, is this where interest rates are to stay for a while? That's a huge question. It's a question that's not just relevant for everyday consumers who are thinking about auto loans or mortgages. It's huge for Wall Street and financial markets where small changes in interest rates can have huge impacts on winners and losers in, in the financial markets. So right now, the Fed has interest rates around 5.5%. The Federal Reserve itself has said that it expects long-term interest rates, once you know inflation has come down, to get closer to 2.5%. So that's almost a three-point difference. There's a big active debate about when it is appropriate for the Fed to start cutting. Financial markets, because they're trading against possible future rates of interest, believe that those cuts will start next summer. Given the slowdown in inflation and given the way that the labor market has slowed, not into something that's recessionary, but slowed enough that people are starting to worry, there's an argument to moving that forward. But the idea is that starting sometime next year, the Fed will start to cut rates. Now, the Fed is worried that if it says it's going to cut too much, people might start spending more money and it might be inflationary. So there's a kind of head game that Mm. the Federal Reserve is playing with businesses and, and Wall Street and financial markets who might pay very close attention to those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the Fed has rates in a very restrictive period. The Fed understands interest rates to be too high relative to where they should be when things calm down and things all kind of settle. And the Federal Reserve clearly feels burnt by missing how high inflation would get. That said, a lot of people are worried they're going to kind of overreact here and wait too long to bring down interest rates. And so that's that's the battle right now, is, is less about where inflation is right now, because I think it's come down quite substantially. It's more about when should the Fed react next. And there, the Fed sounds more hawkish than I think the underlying economic data might be. Is the Fed being sort of reactionary here, or are they being more proactive when it comes to these interest rates? I don't know. It just seems like... They didn't catch this before it happened. And like, how are they playing this now that we've gotten to this place that we're in? So you can tell the members of the Federal Reserve who vote on these interest rate decisions feel very burnt because they thought inflation would be much lower and less persistent than it was last year. They thought it would be, you know, not peak as high as it did and go away much quicker. It instead took an additional year for what they thought would happen to essentially start to happen. In the meantime, they're very nervous that they're going to miss the call again and that inflation might reaccelerate or might not continue to come down at a level that it's coming down at. They're worried maybe economic activity might pick up more. And as such, you can tell with the speeches of people like Chair Jay Powell, they really are emphasizing that you know just a couple months of good news is not enough for them to want to cut interest rates. That said, we're past a couple months. We're now closer to six months of good news. 
we're starting to get news that's not necessarily bad, but news that's a little bit troubling. In some ways, they haven't fully updated their view of the labor market and prices in general from early this year and late last year. And so they'll eventually need to update to what we've seen in recent months. And I think when they do, hopefully they'll they'll sound a little bit more dovish because it is absolutely reasonable to understand why they feel so burnt about everything that's happened and why they're being cautious here. But they can't do that forever, and they really do risk a recession if they continue it to much, much longer. I want to get into how consumers are reacting. You know, in a lot of the conversations I see online, the response that people have to folks complaining about, say, the cost of groceries or of gas is to budget better, to just spend less money. Is this something we can personal finance our way out of individually or, you know, is is there kind of nothing we can do at the moment? So it's tough right now because on one hand, people feel poorly about the economy, but they're still spending a lot of money. And there's a really big GDP growth number last year that was driven by consumer spending. There's certain polling that indicates they feel okay about their own finances, but worse about the economy as a whole, which one can understand that as a matter of psychology, but that would still end up in these things where it's very negative poll numbers, but people still spending quite a bit of money. You know, in so much as inflation is a societal problem or a problem of market structures in general, it's hard for it to have an individual response as opposed to a public response or uh, some sort of actor response, right? So, you know, you think about you know, how much people are spending, but also the issue about supply chains, about energy shocks that, you know, went through the economy in the aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You know, those are very big things that's hard for individuals to manage. As people are reacting to it, you know, we see people changing their saving behaviors or spending behaviors. Any one individual doesn't change anything, but as more and more people do it, uh, that has an impact. You know, in terms of policies that, in addition to what's going on in the conversation we're having, that we would think of as being helpful, one is housing. You know, housing has been a big source of inflation, the amount people pay for a house or for rental units. And, you know, we obviously are, we are still down quite a bit of housing, even though we've built quite a bit. And there's a, a lot of different initiatives to try to make housing, make there be more housing that's more affordable. And I think that's a very important element of the inflation problem. But in general, it's been about trying to handle this reopening, which you know Congress and the Biden administration have done through a lot of different mechanisms. And between that and patience of things getting back online, you know, semiconductors getting out there, you know, the labor market sorting itself out, I think that has brought down inflation far more than the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes. Is it possible to have an economy right now that's technically good without sort of like this concern over the price of things or how do we have a good economy right now without it hitting us in the wallet? I think the inflation we've experienced is really the result of a few very big societal things that happened during the pandemic and the reopening. And it's like very easy to forget how traumatic it all was because people just want to put it behind us for good reason. But from everything from just basic supply chains shutting down and then being overwhelmed to complete global reorganization of our energy markets in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, which also had huge impacts on food, food prices, to just, you know, a lot of people after the pandemic and with some money in their pockets wanting to upskill their jobs and use the opportunity to find better jobs, especially as the labor market picked up very rapidly. 
you know, all those are really big changes that aren't going to be happening every year and thus won't be causing the inflation that was part of the mechanism that helped adjust for all those huge events. And so I think it's very easy to have a strong economy like we have right now with much less inflation. I think there's also an argument for inflation in the range it's been in the last three to six months to be kind of a better normal. Inflation in a target range between two and three and a half percent is like a lot of peer countries do it. The 2% inflation was kind of made up when economists first started thinking through the idea of inflation targeting in the late 1990s. And for a long period of time, many different economists thought that it was way too low of a level and that there's different ways, whether it's you know, targeting the level of spending in the economy or targeting inflation in a higher range that would give a little bit more flexibility so we're not stuck between recessions and high inflation with the Fed feeling very confused about what it should be doing. So I definitely think there's room for the economy to be at this level of you know, labor markets, this level of growth with much lower inflationary pressures. It's just very unfortunate we had to go through all these things to get there. So now we know why things are so expensive, but how do we fix it? That's next up after the break. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Weeds. I'm Jonathan Hill, and we're back with Mike Consul. We've been talking about inflation, and things are better than they used to be. I wanted to know if this was an instance of the market correcting itself. I believe that's right. Now, we have to be careful here because there's a lot of stuff the government helped coordinate. Um, you know, the international response to the energy dislocations following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, whether or not it was the financial engineering around the strategic reserves, uh, whether or not it was coordinating with key allies about how to get energy markets going. We know energy can have a really big impact on inflation, both in the price itself, but also is such an important input to everything else we make in the economy, that that government response was really crucial and really important in making sure that the the fallout from that was contained, in particular in Europe, where you know they're even more dependent on energy from Russia, and, and they're even more vulnerable to the dislocations introduced there. There's a whole wide range of government interventions and government policymaking designed to help stem the brutal impact of those cost increases on energy, and that, that varies state by state. But all in all, that points to a very active and important government response. 
and I think you know there's a lot of en- energy and effort to trying to deal with the supply chain crisis. You know, there's a period where you know President Biden sent a whole class of Yale law students off to the ports and docks to try to figure out how to make things work faster, figure out where the blockages were, trying to figure out how they can move things faster and better. And I think there were some signs that that had a real impact and that, you know, we're now seeing it now where the price of goods, which was a big driver of inflation in 2021 and 2022, has been flat for the last six months, just as it had been for you know, a decade or two prior to the pandemic. So I think that one important part of the inflation question was really helped along through active government policy. One fix for this, at least for consumers, would be to spend less. And we know that that could possibly lead to a recession. Is the real fix kind of us as consumers just kind of getting over it and accepting, okay, we're not going to have those 2019 prices. Your coffee is now $7. And I'm going to be honest, that makes me upset. It makes me want to boo somebody. I don't know who to boo, but it's upsetting. But like at the end of the day, am I just going to have to accept if I want to get a coffee, it's going to be $7? I I mean, the short answer is yes. (laughs) Oh, Uh, no. (laughs) The price level is not going to come down outside of a depression-like event. That said, as consumers and as citizens, there are certain parts of our lives that we should have access to independent of our ability to pay for it, be it healthcare, a solid retirement, education. Those are political challenges. And you know, markets play a very important role in those, but so do governments. And the price of housing and healthcare and education might have skyrocketed and food, but there's no reason we have to put up with being insecure for most people. Now, for a lot of elective purchases, be it like a, a coffee, that might be more expensive now. And that, that's just part of the reality of life. But, you know, to the extent people are upset because the price level as a whole has gone up, you know, that is a political problem. But it's a different political problem if key things in people's lives are now priced in a way that are not accessible, that we think it is unfair or unjust that people can't have access to. And that points to a political solution for those specific parts of our lives. The political challenges are really interesting because something that I've been thinking about is, you know, who is responsible for this? And maybe that's not the correct way to think about it. I mean, we do have regulation, but overall, we have a free market. But when elections come around, we really do look to our elected officials as responsible for our economy. Like, who is to blame in all of this? Where should we be looking for some responsibility or for some change or for some solutions. It is definitely true people credit or discredit the president in particular and the president's party for how the economy is doing. Sometimes that's fair, sometimes that's unfair. You know, political parties often can't do as much as they'd like to do to influence the economy one way or the other. You know, obviously it's very hard to pass things through Congress. The president only has so many powers. You know, they're not a king. They can't just declare things. And as such, you know, sometimes they get blamed too much for things that happen. On the other hand, presidents and parties do make choices. And, you know, President Biden and the Democrats made a bunch of choices. Um, You know, they pushed a a very strong stimulus to make sure that the economy had a robust recovery. I think, and when I talk to people in finance and people who aren't particularly political about this, I think the general consensus is that you would have most, if not all, of the inflation we still had, even if President Biden hadn't done that, even if you know you had a divided Congress that didn't do anything in 2021. But we would have had unemployment several percentage points higher, maybe even one, two, or three percentage point higher. Would we have the robust labor movement we have right now if unemployment was you know five, six, or seven percent? We, compared to peer countries, actually have GDP that's higher 
than what people projected it to be in 2019 without the pandemic, which is pretty wild to think about. You know, GDP is not the sole thing, but it's an important thing. And it's a precondition for many other things, be it, you know, a strong labor movement, robust investments, robust public investments to address climate change. You know, the fact that we have a, a strong investing economy, I think, is the result of the choices that this president and party made. Now, again, I think think, and I see it internationally, and I see it, you know, in the way inflation has come down, which makes me think that it wasn't too much demand that caused it to go up because it came down for the reasons that a lot of people who thought it was a supply side issue came down. That said, voters are blaming the Democrats for inflation right now. If we continue to have another year of disinflation, of solid investment, of solid wage growth, you know, will that change? Possibly. You know, all these things are just are so unique and so complicated in their own way. We just don't know. But on the fundamentals, the economy came through an incredibly traumatic event. You know, our country came through an incredibly traumatic event with strong labor market, robust investments, and inflation that is now slowing down. So I think that's a, a remarkable achievement, even though it could have been worse, is like the worst political pitch ever, which is why no one asked me to do political pitches. (laughs) How do you, I mean, I know no one asked you to do political pitches, but, you know, 2023 is almost over, which means we got another election year around the corner, if you can believe it. How do you see the economy playing a role in politics, you know, over the course of the next year? Is that going to be the issue? It's complicated. It's going to obviously be an important issue. There's also many other important issues from you know, democracy to reproductive rights to our role on the international stage that are also going to influence voters as well. When it comes to the economy, you know, a lot's going to depend on whether or not we're still going as strong as we're going right now or whether or not the Federal Reserve's tipped us over into a recession, which is a real possibility, you know, which is most people think is not more likely than not, but you know, still remains a marginal possibility. On the other hand, if the Fed accepts how much inflation's come down and if it continues to come down, they may lower rates. You know, the financial markets believe that the lower rates next summer. So you could end up in a period in which rates are coming down in such a way that consumers might think very positively about that. Again, we don't really have exactly the right empirical story about why consumers are so negative on the economy. But the things that might be causing it will probably get better in the next year. Whether or not that changes anyone's mind, it's very difficult to say. Mike Consul, thank you so much for joining us on The Weeds. I will be making my coffee at home for the foreseeable future. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for listening. The economy is something that I know I'll have my eye on in the coming months. Not only because of my credit card statement, but because of the upcoming election. To stay on top of all of the news, head on over to Vox.com. And if you want to read more about money and capitalism you should sign up for Emily's monthly newsletter called The Big Squeeze. The link is in the show notes. That's all for us today. Thank you to Emily Stewart and Mike Consul for joining me. Our producer is Sophie Lalonde. Krishna Ayala engineered this episode. Serena Solon fact-checked it. Our editorial director is A.M. Hall. And I'm your host, John Gwilyn Hill. This podcast is part of Vox, which doesn't have a paywall. Help us keep it that way by going to vox.com give. In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady, renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than one billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. 
Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.